It's episode 161 of Leading Ladies in Corpus Christi, and I'm sitting in one of the coolest table and chair combos I've ever seen in Erica Kim's house. She is one of four licensed dyslexia therapists in Oasis County, also an artist. You once served on the board of K-Space. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Thank you for coming. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, first of all, I love your neighborhood. I love your home. Um, taking style notes, because I've been in my starter home for the past six years so how much of a starter home is it <laughs> but uh, I'm looking at all this and I'm like I need to start making moves because this is nice I mean so have you always had this like really interesting kind of mix of styles bright colors um oh yeah it comes from my grandmother my grandmother was a folk artist a naive folk artist and you'll see her work on the walls she worked in fiber only there's stories of her childhood wow her name was Ruby Aunt uh so yes lots of color but you know, I think that um, home decor has been trending a lot towards grays yes. and neutrals. Yes. And um, I'm just really not down with that. But <laughs> I'm a redhead. So if you notice, like, I have orange couches and orange curtains and. It's cool. Uh, <laughs> orange, orange accent wall. Yes. Yes. Accent wall. Uh, so, yeah. Um, gosh. Uh, this is probably, we're like the third or fourth owners in this house. We're really lucky with yes. this house. You know, if you look around, you can find them. The ones that haven't really been messed with much. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The floors maybe have been refinished once. Uh, so thank you, Harrison family, because they <laughs> used to live here. Um, yeah, it's, it's yeah, really it's nice. It's a lovely house. And so uniquely you, you know what I mean? Every single piece of it. Uh, but to me, I find that people who are artistic often have a very unique sense of style and they're really good at expressing it. And so did True. you follow in the footsteps of your grandmother? My grandmother and my mom. My okay. mom was an incredible. So I was, okay, I was an Air Force brat. So mm -hmm. every three years we had to pack up and move. Oh man, I don't know uh, how I could do that. And that's how the table and the chairs, there's actually six chairs. The other ones are hidden throughout the house. They're so cool. Because when you have all six chairs in this room, it just takes over the whole room. Mm -hmm. um, and that was one thing because I, I literally bought the house to fit the table, <laughs> which is crazy. But, um, and what we do is two of the chairs are bedside tables next to the bed. My parents were stationed in England in Wethersfield. Oh, wow. And so this came out of some barn in England. It was lacquered black. And they immersed This them. was? Yes, they were all immersed in uh, acid and eaten down to the wood level, which basically bastardized them because yeah. they had been stripped of their original patina. Mm -hmm. Then they went ahead and put American buffalo hide as it would have been silk. Okay. Or some sort of material that was not American buffalo hide. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so technically they're bastardized, but we love them. Um, you can tell that you know, they're just... Even, you know, that was done in the 60s. Okay. So, <laughs> they're, they're, even the the uh, uh, the leather is worn out now, too, even though this leather is not original to it. Okay. So, yeah, so... They're cool. They're beautiful. Um, you know, I have mixed feelings about objects, mm -hmm. and that became a theme in my art making. Tell me more. And what yeah. do you mean by mixed feelings? Well, so when you have to pack up, my mom had uh, purchased a massive art collection in England. And every time it was time to move in the Air Force, they would have to pack up, create shipping crates for mm -hmm. all the art. And um, it was an amazing experience. But it's not, when you don't have the U.S. military footing the bill for a move, yeah. that's a big, expensive deal. Yes. So what I discovered is, you know, I, I was leaning towards art as a child, as a young child. And go off to art school and the thing that was interesting is at the end of art school everyone's trying to pawn their artwork off on each other <laughs> <laughs> and i have a lovely friend i went to graduate school his name was brent leffler hi brent i hope you're well and he made these massive paintings and he asked me if i would like one and i said dear i have no place for it yeah so i love big art Yes, like you do. You have some eye-catching pieces on this wall alone. Yes, that, that orange one's mine. Oh, man. Yeah. And the other one's from University of uh, uh, Texas A&M. Sorry. It, the Knight? 
the night. Oh man, that that that, that that caught my eye immediately. Yes. Well, yeah. So um, I started to realize that as much as I loved big art and I love sculpture, I actually started my uh, I had my master's degree in sculpture. It was untenable. And then, of course, when my husband and I met, we were much older. We didn't have children, but we had full households of our own with antiques that had been handed down to us. So, And where were y'all when y'all met? Um, my husband was playing in the Air Force Air Guard Band at Carswell, and I was living in Fort Worth at the, at the time, serving okay. as an art teacher. Okay, wow. Working in the inner city of uh, Fort Worth. Um, and uh, Diamond Hill Jarvis High School, Success High School, which is a night school. And uh, a friend of mine who was my oldest friend from Stephenville, Texas, when we finally settled down out of the Air Force, we went to Stephenville. Mm -hmm. So um, I met a girl. She was my friend in middle school, all the way through high school. She was in band. She ended up in the Air Force. Well, one day she invited me to go with the band to lunch, to meet them at lunchtime. And it was almost like that kind of Titanic thing where all these things had to line up perfectly for this event to go down. Yep. That's how we met. Great reference, by the way. <laughs> hey, you can't deny destiny, all right? When yeah. somebody's meant to cross your path, they're meant to cross your path, That's period. Right. Oh, there were so many incredible things that happened. You know, we both almost didn't go at the last minute. It's just one of those great love stories. Yes, it is. And um, he sat down next to me, and we started talking about pre-Raphaelite art. And I was shocked <laughs> because That's knew so niche. He knew who the pre-Raphaelites were. And I was like, oh, man. Yes. I love this guy. Yes. And I was looking for a ring. No ring. And, and he so, saw Foxy Redhead. Yes. But he didn't say anything. He didn't ask me out. Mm -hmm. He had pretty much given up on dating. Yeah. And I kind of cool. had to. He, I kind of had to. Yeah. We had both gone through divorces. Mm -hmm. But the cool part was my friend and another friend. My friend had known me since middle school. This other friend of hers had known Carl since she was a graduate student. He was her graduate instructor. So they played Cupid and got us together because initially he wasn't going to ask me out. Mm -hmm. They they basically were like, you need to ask her out. Yes. So that's the story And the rest is history. That's the story of us. And, and like you said, y'all had two fully established households with <clears throat> art and antiques. Yes. How do you c consolidate? Yeah. Can you take it all? I hope you can take it all. Can you take well, it all? Well, I mean, you just, you try to purge, you try to decide, but I mean, get a bigger house, mm -hmm. uh, get a house that can hold this table. Um, it's an ongoing project. Let's <laughs> just say that. Wait, so how did you guys end up in Corpus anyway? Good question. Yes. Carl started teaching at Del Mar College in 2001. So y'all were married already at this point? No. Okay. Uh, French Horn and Humanities. He was doing active duty, or I'm sorry, uh, his summer duty um, in the summertime at Carswell. And that's how we met. But I was still living in Fort Worth. Okay. So we started dating long distance. Mm -hmm. I didn't own a computer and I didn't feel comfortable using school email, even though I didn't even realize I could have just set up my own email account. <laughs> you know, this is back in 2000. I was going to ask, yeah, when was this? 2004. Okay, okay. So, oh, yeah. I mean, smartphones were like barely becoming a thing, no, at least no, for it was me. 2005, 2005. So, we basically made phone calls. Yes. And no emails. We wrote letters <laughs> to each other. I love that. Because we were older. I was in my 30s. He's seven years older than me. Mm -hmm. He was 37. Uh, Let's see. No, 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 no. I was, gosh, I was 36. So he was seven years older than me at that point. Okay. And we realized that oh, he comes from an Air Force background too. His yes. father was Air Force. That is so interesting also. Yeah. The y'all's backgrounds lined right. up the way they did. Yeah. Y'all. So y'all get stuff that maybe like your run-of-the-mill individual might not about each other. Exactly. And so we started writing stories, uh, filling each other in on our backstories in our childhoods because we had spent so much time of our lives away from one another, not knowing all the backstories. So we would write letters to each other, kind of telling stories about each other's childhoods. Mm -hmm. um, I love so, that. Yeah. And so did, did you decide to come down and join him? After a year of dating, okay. I came down. Okay. I came and down. how did you feel? Because a lot of people that move to Corpus are kind of apprehensive about the move at first. Yes, I had really strong uh, uh cultural uh what do you call it um gosh shock 
Yes, culture shock. That's yeah. the word. That's the word. Culture <laughs> shock. Um, I loved that the ocean, but I had lived in Hawaii for a spell. So oh wow, it's it's not you the know, same ocean. So you got to go all the way out to go out to the island where the the water's nice and blue. Yes, where the real beaches is. What yes, I like to say. exactly. As a Corpus Christi native, everybody knows what the in quotations beaches right. and what the real beaches. So it's more humid here than Hawaii. It's hotter here than Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Uh, the temperature string- swings are much more severe. So uh, it's taken me a long time. But the funny thing is, is I've discovered is, is no matter where I've lived, I've usually lived somewhere near water or a river or a lake. Um, Body of water. Yeah. Very cool. Mm-hmm. I think having grown up here, I've spent a few years in Austin, and I don't like being away from water. It just doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so with your background being in art and a passion for art... Did you immediately find a way to I was trying to integrate find my tribe. yourself? So I yes. got here and I felt really lost. And um, I also felt like Corpus, I say in, in, I say it with love and sometimes not with love. It's on the road to nowhere mm-hmm. because it's not on the way to another place. You wouldn't stop here on the way to Padre Island, mm-hmm. South Padre Island. Mm-hmm. That's right. If you're coming here, you're coming here. Yes. You're not coming on the way. Um, and it has its good points and it's bad points yes and uh so i was just kind of looking around looking at the art community and first the you know the first ones you see are the art center yes and And this is around 2006 ish yes 2006 is when we got married okay yeah and at the time k-space had an exhibit at the art center and i met michelle smith Mm mm-hmm and it was love at first sight. I was like, oh my gosh, you're my people. <laughs> and um, so I joined up with them. And at first, uh, it was all about the studios upstairs, but there was a small gallery upstairs mm-hmm. and there were openings. Um, and then uh, we kind of created a board of artists and we decided, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to become a nonprofit. Um, and we started working downstairs. So K-Space Contemporary is inside of the old Crest Building downtown on Star Street. Yes. And so that's why it's called K-Space. It's for the K and Crest. Okay, I didn't realize that. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. And uh, we did all the work ourselves. Michelle did a lot of the work herself. Gerald Lopez, uh, Joe Pena, Jimmy Pena. Mm-hmm. Rick Ruiz, uh, gosh, uh, Ryan Howell, there's just a whole bunch of people came in and just put in hours and hours and hours. Um, we got our 50, uh, what is it? 504, what do you call it? I never know the 501c3? number. 501c3? That sounds yeah. right, but I don't know. I think know. that sounds right. <laughs> it's been a while, and mm-hmm. you'll see why, because so much has happened since I even started my journey with K-Space. Yes. So, um, we, we build the gallery, uh, we're chugging along with their board. And then of course, um, Sharon Sedgwick, we, uh, created, Oh man, I love that woman. A split. Yeah. She's amazing. Yeah. A split board where we had one board that was comprised of business owners and the other half of the board was artists. Um, and it's, I think it's a model similar to, uh, American Heart Society, but I could be wrong, but mm-hmm. it was modeled after something else. Because honestly, when it comes to nonprofits, you don't need to remake the wheel. You yes. need to look at... Well said. <laughs> yeah, because starting from scratch is really hard. Yes. Um, I looked into it one time and just, whoa, there's a lot of hoops to jump through for sure. It's incredible. The amount of hours that nonprofits go through mm-hmm. to, to get funding, very little funding. Mm-hmm. Um, so... We, we created the two boards, and I was the director of education for a spell. Wow. Uh, and the, uh, so serving on the board, and then when we split, and we, we created those two parts to the board. Day of the Dead had just started. Okay. And I don't recall the exact year, but it was literally just one block. Yes. And um, Axis Tattoo, Electra Axis Tattoo had put the, the, the bales out. And we had a bandstand, and it was insane the number of people that showed up. By the people second love year, that festival. it was overwhelming. And what was so cool about it is, is it, it had a life of its own. I mean, we were there, and we started it, but it, people, it, it just grew legs. It was just 
a cultural shift mm-hmm. and it was body to body. There were so many people there. And then of course we started con- being concerned about safety yes. and we started spreading out the, the festival mm-hmm. uh, over a larger area. Um, and when the business side of the board saw that, they were like, holy cow, um, this is important. This yes. is special. We need to grow this. And, yes. you know, and they started really kind of coming into gear and helping us get the big sponsors. So through this whole thing, uh, I got pregnant. Finally got to Congratulations. have a child. I had my daughter when I was 39 years old. Okay. So, and it took a while because mm-hmm. <laughs> it takes a while when you're older. Yes. Um, but my mom, it took her 10 years to have me. So it was kind wow. of like. Are you an only child? No, my, okay. I have a sister who's older than me. She's adopted. Okay, excellent. And my parents adopted her in England. Oh, wow. How co- <laughs> Does she still live there? No. Oh, no. I mean, okay. no. She came with us back to the States yeah. and grew up in the States. Okay, and very she good. She my mom. Excellent. So, yeah. And so it's like you're in the, uh, the, the thick of Dia de los Muertos becoming this huge thing in Corpus and finally... I get pregnant. Yes. And, um, you know, I was 39. I'd done a lot. I'd gone to art school. I'd studied abroad. And I just like, I need a sl- I want to be, I just want to be with my kid. Mm-hmm. So I had my child. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm all alone. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that funny how that oh. works? Yeah. And remember, I was an educator as well. Yes. So I was used to being face to face with lots of people. And at first I thought, oh, that'd be great to decompress Very from social. That, yeah. You know, burnout. But then I realized, <laughs> yes. you know, the isolation and I don't have any family here. There's no family here. Oh, none. man. Um, and uh, that that's hard. Right. Carl's family's in uh, New Mexico. My family's in different parts of Texas. So uh, anyway, I kind of went back into teaching for a while, but it just really didn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wasn't happy. Yes. I was feeling overwhelmed. Um, I wasn't enjoying teaching art anymore, and I knew I needed to find a change. So, Good for you. Instead of just, yeah. you know, trudging through it day by day, right. recognizing I need to do something different. Right. And I tried my hand at some um, small uh, art business concepts, like making sugar skulls, selling mm-hmm. soap. But at the end of the day, I wasn't, it just wasn't as profitable as I had hoped. Of course. Um, and there was this need, you know, I, I need to help. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and of course, and I hadn't given you the back. So Carl's a musician. Okay. He teaches at Delmar College. Wow. And he also teaches humanities. Okay. And that kind of plays into this story as well. So, I mean, I wasn't, you know, we weren't starving to death, but I, I just felt bad. No, felt I, I bad. get that. Yeah, yeah. you want to be partners. Right. Yeah, I, I absolutely exactly. get that. Exactly. Yes. Um, so. Also really interesting that both of y'all have, so you have the uh, military background mm-hmm. and then you have, you know, he's a musician, you're an artist. Exactly. Very interesting. Yeah. I, I love that. Just Usually, the compatibility um, is through the charts. It happens. It happens. Um, many times musicians will marry other musicians. Mm-hmm. And many times, and, and sometimes musicians will marry artists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I yeah. mean, it sounds like y'all have Sue a good Wheeler, thing going. Uh, 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 Day Wheeler and Jim Wheeler. Jim Wheeler was I know that name. a middle school band director. I definitely know and that And Day name. Wheeler is an artist at K-Space. She's oh, one of cool. the founding artists at K-Space. That is so yeah. neat. Yeah, yeah. So it happens. It definitely yeah. happens. Um, but at this point, after you had your daughter, you're, you're pretty much, like you said, you tried to go back into teaching, but when it came to like involvement with the nonprofit, you stepped back. A little bit, yeah. yeah. Um, so once I became pregnant, it was just, yeah, I, I just couldn't. So... Uh, you had tried teaching that it wasn't working out and that right. it didn't feel like it was the right fit. Yes. So I just quit. I started some art based businesses, but they weren't as success- yes. successful as I had hoped. Mm-hmm. And, um, then my daughter entered kindergarten and we started discovering that they would give her reading homework and she'd come home and she'd want to not do it. She would pick a fight with me. Oh, she'd no. find a reason to not read 
avoidance tactics yes, here. Yes. She's a smart kid. Yes. Something that she's not, she's not understanding. And I would talk to the staff and they say, she just, you know, she's just really struggling. She's not wanting to read. And this is in kindergarten. This is in kinder. Okay. She was at the Montessori. Okay. Then we get her, uh, we got her into ECDC, which is on the campus of Texas A&M. Yes. Amazing school, by the way. Um, And she gets there and we were so lucky to have an angel. Her first grade teacher, her name is Rose Bazan. Okay. I had a teacher named Bazan. She was a speech teacher, uh, Baker. Hmm. I'm not sure if it was her. I don't remember her first name, though. Anyway. Well, she came to me and she said, I'm seeing some red flags that I want you to know about. And she told me about some things that Adelaide was just not getting when it came to reading, writing, and spelling. And I was like, yeah, I'm noticing that too. And she, she said, I'm not a diagnostician, but I would like for, I think that it's, it's appropriate. And I would recommend that she be screened at least for dyslexia. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I looked it up, it was all over. It was like, oh my gosh, this is it. This is all these things. The school recommended that we have her evaluated for dyslexia. And sure enough, that's what came back. Mm. Um, She started working with an interventionist. And in the meantime, I just, I had this nagging feeling that I I really wanted to know more about dyslexia. And maybe it's just being an overprotective mom. I, I just wanted to get maybe some private help on top of it. Yes. I really wanted to be on top of it. Of course. So I started looking around and I found uh, a site, well, the International Dyslexia Association. Um, but then I also found ALTA, which is the, um, let's see, the association, nope, academic therapist. Language? Language. Oh my gosh, I should know the name of this. I am so sorry. I'm. Because I definitely saw it, because that's where you got your licensing. Yes. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm really drawing blanks. No, 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 it's okay. So I was looking for private intervention for my daughter. And first I ran into the International Dyslexia Association, which led me to ALTA, which is the Academic Language Therapy Association. Mm -hmm. And I was looking up therapists in my area. There were five. Three of them work full-time for districts. One was retiring, and the other one had a full, full schedule. Because they were really the only ones. Yes. Because when you say work full-time for districts, you mean school. Like, they were dedicated to school. Yes. So they didn't take external... They might have, Mm -hmm. but I know how tired I am at the end of the day. Yeah. I think I called around to ask if they might, Mm -hmm. but yeah. Yeah. Um, I met with the one that was retiring and moving away. Mm Mm-hmm. And I started having really serious conversations with her about becoming a therapist myself. Because I realized that I need a break from the career I currently had. And I just desperately wanted to understand my daughter and help her. It was just so heart-wrenching for her to come home with a spelling list. And, you know, short vowel sounds, long vowel sounds, suddenly... Okay, so I'm an artist, right? And suddenly I, I realized that I don't have the vocabulary to even dialogue with my child as to why mm-hmm. cat has a short vowel sound. Yeah. Uh, or a word that ends in E might have a long vowel sound mm-hmm. before it or one, you know, yeah. vowel consonant E. So it was just shocking to me and it bothered me that my daughter and I were so close yet I was completely out of my depth. I didn't know how to help her yet. I was an educator. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. And then I realized there's no one else that can help her. And that really upset me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just had a gut feeling that I needed to go ahead and train. So there are two organizations that I know of in Texas. There might be more, but the two I know of are the Nighthouse Foundation and Scottish Rite Hospital okay. for Children. Uh, so they have these training programs that 
individuals can enroll in. Sometimes schools send them and might pay for it. Uh, private individuals can as well, but mm. you need to at least have a bachelor's degree. Right. Uh, and if you have a master's degree, then you can go ahead and become uh, certified in the state of Texas. Now, as I say this, things could change. That may or may not be true. They might not accept you into the program if you don't have a master's degree. So mm -hmm. if someone's interested, they need to just call and ask. Okay. Um, I met some other angels along the way. Uh, some that actually have had podcasts with you, but I'm not going to name them by name. Okay. Who kind of helped me lead the way. And it's so interesting because once you start talking about dyslexia, people come forward and start telling you their stories. But yes. until then, they're not talking about it. That's very true. And, that's and I think sad. it's misused. I mean, the, the, the term's misused a lot. Similar to like, I, oh, that's my ADD or that's my OCD or that's my dyslexia. And I think people just, you know, they throw it <laughs> yeah, out there. Right, right, yeah, I yeah, Without really knowing what it means. But as I became more educated in dyslexia, I realized that there were a lot of myths as well. Yes. And I'll get into that later. I know, I'm really excited mm. for that. So I go and train. It was the most intensive thing of my life. Every day <clears throat> you were having someone teach you something you had never understood in your life for eight hours a day. Then oh, they sent you home wow. to write five chapters, read, read five chapters of graduate level writing and write five book reports, page, one page each. So it's 12 hour days. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> I was doing fine. But it was interesting as we all went through it, everybody started breaking down. And there were even teachers who were training who were dyslexic themselves. And they wow. really, and those are the biggest angels of all because they know what the children are going through yet. They're gonna walk through hell to get through this training, to get the cert certification so they can help those children themselves. Yes. Um, so you do that for two weeks and then you're certified for the first year curriculum then you have to work your, your uh, you have to accrue clinical hours. So the, what I have is I'm a certified academic language therapist. I'm the highest level of training in the field, uh, other than a qualified instructor. Mm -hmm. um, that is fantastic. So you have about 250 hours of professional development, and then you have to log in 700 hours of clinical work working with children. So if you do an hour with one child, that's one hour. But if you work with four children at once, it's still only one hour. Mm -hmm. So that's how it works. Okay. So once I came home, I immediately needed to start finding clients. And of course, my first, my number one child was my child. Yes. And of course, I'm sure I made some mistakes along the way. But I told her, I said, I've, always, I'm, I've what you got right now. Mm -hmm. And right now when we're doing this, I'm not mom, I'm your teacher. Yes. It was hard. I bet. Yeah, it was the, that, yeah, I was going <laughs> to ask, like, you know, wearing the different hat. It's hard. Uh, I don't know. It's hard. Anybody that homeschools their kid, that, that's one thing, right? But then you actually being somebody, you know, helping her mm -hmm. strengthen, you know, right. reading skills and in you're, particular. You're basically helping them rewire the neural correct connections in their brain, and it can be painful. And there are points where the, the child is really not excited about it yes and you've got to really have parents that are on board that understand the process yes um it that takes, is work it takes two years two years of instruction uh and then you go into more of a maintenance mode i mean it's okay. forever okay it's forever it doesn't right. ever go away and right. we're going to talk about what those myths are what it is and what it isn't yes yeah so then so of course you know your daughter being you know your number one client essentially mm -hmm. but then you started expanding to offer your services to others yes i did okay and i started taking on some private students yes. and it was amazing and wonderful and uh those parents are angels and those children are angels to me as well um i have deep deep bonds with them because it's a it's a special thing it's not a one-shot deal when you work with a child you're basically committing to two or more years of that child being in your life three to four hours a week for years wow so when i meet a family i'm, I'm trying to see okay where are they on the journey because sometimes parents call me and they they've just discovered that their child's dyslexic and i'm thinking okay 
there's a lot they've got to go through before they really realize that they need me yes and can support me the way that they need to support me that's a very important point to make it's a long i feel like as a parent yes i feel like what you just said it describes me perfectly that i you know what i mean i'd I'd have to do like all the research first i wouldn't necessarily jump into it yes (laughs) but also the fact that you yourself you know your child has dyslexia so Mm. you know firsthand you know what it's like having a child with dyslexia and you know helping them deal with their you know conflicts and then of course being able to assist her in the rewire that makes you very valuable yes because i've gone through it yes I, i've gone through it on both ends yes and i've gone through it experiencing what it's like as an educator in the classroom not knowing what the heck is going on mm-hmm. and in knowing that most educators don't have a clue it's not in the training <sighs> Uh, but that's, that's that's disheartening. Yeah, that's disheartening. That's another thing. Yeah. We're going to just keep it positive. Yes, definitely. Uh, there's um, movement in that direction. Yes. And I think the way that that movement can be sped up is for parents to really be vocal and advocate for their children. Yes. And oh, we'll I love get into that. that because the more they say the name, the more they talk about it, the more they're calling the principal up and saying, what about dyslexia? Mm-hmm. Are you screening all the, the kinder and first grade kids? The more- and that's what I was going to ask. Is that typically whenever it becomes apparent? Is around pre-K, kinder? Kinder, first grade. Okay. Especially first grade. Because Mm. at that point, they're really asking the children to spell. So it's not just I'm decoding and I'm looking at these words and figuring out the patterns. But it's solidifying in my head. And now I have to spit that knowledge back out without Mm -hmm. reference and write that word on the paper. And that's where you really see the rubber hit the road halfway through first grade okay now reversals can continue through halfway through second grade but if your child's doing a lot of reversals what's a reversal a reversal is writing b's instead of d's okay p's instead of q's okay flipping letters flipping numbers um writing a whole word backwards Mm -hmm. Um, that that to me would be a very obvious yes, indication. You would think, yeah. Yes. Right. I mean, I'm not a, an, an educator, right? They're like, that's really... That's disconcerting, yes. 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 That's, a, that's a red flag. Yeah. That's definitely a red flag. Yeah. So a few and I don't years even back, like to say it like that, but just kind of like, a, okay, there's a, something yeah. here. So a few years back, the state of Texas did mandate that all children in kinder and first grade be screened. And screening is very oh, wow. simplistic. Uh, it's very affordable. And there's really... It, it should be done. Mm-hmm. There's no reason for it to not be done. So I got through my first year of training. Yes. I picked yes. up my private kiddos. Yes. And I'm chugging along. We get into the second year of training. I'm doing great. Uh, made it through. The interesting thing was for me, when I was going for the, the first year of training, I had a complete meltdown because they had asked me to learn something and then the next morning I had to teach it in front of a group of children oh wow to the children with all my colleagues on the back row watching oh and I had no. complete meltdown and I had like what was called you know like stage fright and I knew about stage yes. fright because I know people who are musicians that need beta blockers when they're kind of freaking out about going on stage and so uh I, my sister, my, my stepsister is a physician and I said, can you prescribe me a beta blocker? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's hilarious. I was freaking out. I, had I love it. Meltdown. You're all, hey sis, I'm going to hook a girl up. <laughs> please. I losing my mind. I didn't, I was in San Antonio. Mm-hmm. I was staying on her couch. So, or in her guest room. So, um, and she said, it's not, you know, it's not like uh, an ADD med, but it helps people sometimes. Uh, it's a very old drug. It helped immensely. Okay. Um, Good. But one thing that I realized is that I was just so cognitively tired yeah. as I was going through this this struggle. It sounds exhausting. Process. Worth it, but exhausting. Yeah. Um, so by the time I gotten to my second year of training, I realized there was a, there was a problem with me. I was doing lots of study on comorbidities to dyslexia, mm-hmm. and I noticed this on your website that this was discussed. Right. So um, because many of the children that come to me have existing comorbidities, known unknown, and you've got to figure it out. Mm-hmm. So some comorbidities that pair up with dyslexia commonly are ADHD, dysgraphia. 
I don't uh, know what that one is. Dysgraphia is where you you struggle with your fine motor skills and you're struggling with handwriting. Okay. But it can even go into gross motor, which is uh, dyspraxia. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can struggle with numbers, number sense, dyscalculia. Also, some children have vision tracking issues where they're having a hard time finding the place on the page. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of things. There's yeah. a lot of other things. Um, so I was doing a lot of reading. And I was doing a lot of reading about ADD. And the more I read, I started subscribing to different newsletters from attitudemag.org and CHAD, which is an acronym, C-H-A-D-D. And I was receiving articles and reading more and more. And I started reading about dyslexia, uh, uh, ADD in, in girls and in women. And I realized... I have ADD. Really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> and I had tried for years dealing with anxiety, depression, trying different antidepressants, yoga, meditation, you name it. Um, one of the a psychologists told me, you can't be ADD because you weren't diagnosed as a child. What? Oh, my and gosh. <laughs> I said, well... There's a problem with that. I was a doctor's child, and doctor's children aren't supposed to get sick. <laughs> That's funny. It is funny. But also, I feel funny. as though... Because, you know, a doctor's kid is... Yeah, that's the last one that's going to get... <laughs> yeah, like you... Mm. No, I mean, with all... I, I love my... Of course. You know, my dad yes. cared about me. But honestly, in the 70s, it wasn't on people's radar. Exactly. That's and what my parents said. They're like, now everybody has ADD. Like, what's up with that? And it's, it's like, not well, true. well, you know, they're it's just... It's not true. It's just being identified more. Yes, yes. It's being identified more. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a very interesting journey for me and... Uh, earth shattering when I finally was able to advocate to myself to the point where I was actually able to get the medication. Wow. And all the anxiety and depression slipped away. Good for you. Oh my gosh. Wow. What an epiphany. Good for you. That makes me, yes. And that's a really important message there too. Like you just said, being able to advocate for yourself and do what yeah. needs to be done for you. For you. Oh my right. gosh. Right. So I was Love reading that. a lot of scientific papers about, you know, only boys get uh, autism. I've heard that myth before. Rambunctious boys have ADD. But what about dreamy girls? Mm-hmm. So things like autism and ADHD manifest in different ways in boys and girls. Mm-hmm. And You're so right. You don't mixed. really think about, yes. I mean, these are, these, these are the, uh, the stereotypes that I was raised with. Right. So I was a teen in the eighties mm-hmm. and, uh, but sadly, you know, I still get that. I, I still hear people who, you know, are just not aware of, the fact that it goes both ways. There's yes. just as many girls, but they're quiet. Mm-hmm. They don't, they don't lash out. They don't get in trouble. Mm-hmm. They just get quiet, or people call them ditzy. Mm-hmm. And yeah, whoa, no, not cool. yeah. Not cool. So that's eye opening. It is. Mm-hmm. So uh, if anyone wonders about that, they should read about it. They should read about it. Uh, wonderful peer-reviewed articles through Chad and understood.org. I highly recommend. And then go see a psychologist and write down all the things that you struggle with and uh, see what comes of it. I was reading somewhere that sometimes it takes three or four attempts for someone as an adult to get in a diagnosis because uh, there's not as much education, even with psychologists, about adults with ADD. Right. And do you think that's because as adults, we are able to maybe mask it better? Yes. Okay. We're compensating. Yeah. Yes. We're compensating just like dyslexics. Mm-hmm. Dyslexia does not go away. That's mm-hmm. another myth. We, we come up with compensating tra- strategies mm-hmm. that I had always wondered about that. Um, cause yeah, obviously there's people who never got diagnosed with like yourself, um, with, right. with, you know, that. And, right. um, and it was an Air Force kid. I was getting moved every three years yep. as well. So how could you have established someone... a relationship with anybody who might notice or something? Exactly. Exactly. Wild. So you can imagine a child who's homeless or a margar- uh, part of a migrant working family. They're really going to slip through the cracks. Yes. Um, and that's something I want to let parents know. There is a law called Child Find. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's through the Americans with Disabilities Act. Mm-hmm. If you live anywhere near a public school. 
that's all over the U.S. You don't have to be, your child doesn't have to be enrolled in that public school. They could be homeschooled. They could be at a private school. Mm-hmm. If you have a reasonable concern your child has dyslexia, you would go to that public school in your area that serves your child, whatever that home neighborhood school is, and request evaluation. Now, you want to write down why. Yes. But you're part of that group that makes a decision as to whether or not this child is evaluated. And obviously, you're going to see, yes, my child needs to be evaluated. But many parents don't know where to go. Right. They don't even know how to start. They're overwhelmed. Exactly. So that would be the first thing. The second thing I would tell parents if they're looking to identify their child is that they put everything in writing. Do not do anything on the phone. Keep a paper trail Mm -hmm. and ask for writing in return. This keeps everyone honest. And also it helps you because it's so in depth and it's, there is so much. Are you going to remember what date you initiated this request? Probably not after a while. It gets overwhelming. So it's really best to put everything in writing. Document, document, document. That's the teacher's golden rule, Mm -hmm. right? Document, document, document. And um, so you would approach the school and say, you know, according to Child Find, you, you know, you're, you're required to identify children with learning disabilities. And I have a reasonable concern that my child has dyslexia and I would like my child screened. I want my child, uh, if the screen doesn't work, you know, they fail the screen, then I want my child to be evaluated. Um, and they should not be turned away. Okay. There's no reason they shouldn't be turned away. So you had touched on some of the misconceptions about what dyslexia is or how it manifests. Right. Yeah. And I've got, if you want me to read to you. Yeah. Or I mean, if you can think of some that are most, you know, prevalent, like what's a, what's a belief that's inaccurate. That's like in, you know what what I mean? Common. What dyslexia is not. (laughs) That's perfect. This is wonderful because I've had personal experiences with this or people called me with this. Mm -hmm. Uh, Dyslexia is not caused by a lack of motivation. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, Dyslexia is not a visual problem. It cannot be fixed with glasses. Mm -hmm. That's something else. Okay. Um, A vision problem is a vision problem. Dyslexia is about how the brain is processing what it is seeing. Uh, It's not a problem of laziness. Uh, it cannot be outgrown. Adults create compensating strategies. They might start their own business so they can have their own schedule. They might have a job that doesn't require them to write. Ah. And so you might have generations of dyslexics in your family. You didn't even know it because... And is it generational? Yes. Okay. See, I didn't realize that. Absolutely. Okay. Now, each person can have a different uh, severity of dyslexia. So aunt, your aunt might have had it very mildly and then you might have more severe mm-hmm. it could jump a generation mm-hmm. if you have a household where you have a parent with dyslexia and you have multiple children maybe not all of them have it but if both parents are dyslexic there's a pretty good chance that many right. of them will right i don't know the exact amounts i'm not going to look them up everybody can look those up yes it's um, 2022 use the internet <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> um and they're, they're feeling at this point that dyslexia is probably between 7 and 20% of the population. Oh, wow. One in, some people say one in five. I err more on the side of caution with one in you know, seven, 7% of the population. Wow. Instead of 20%. Right. Yes, that is a big, big wow. Yes, it is. A big, big wow. Um, and the thing is, is that these approaches we use don't hurt children who don't have dyslexia. Okay. It only helps them. Good to know. That's an important thing to put out there. It doesn't hurt anyone. Um, it's not caused by parents not reading to their child. <laughs> so no parent shaming? Whew, okay. Yeah. And then the parent has this look, you know, you read to your kid and the parent's just like, yeah, I read to my kid every single night. You know, it's hurtful. Yes. But, and I, there probably are, now there are children who aren't exposed to any language. Yes. They're not being t- treat, uh, taught properly in the classroom or they're being homeschooled and not being taught properly mm-hmm. at a private school or a homeschool situation. That's true. Mm-hmm. But if you have dyslexia, yes, you need to be exposed to language. Yeah. Especially if you read to them, but that's not teaching a child how to decode the words. Right. Or how to spell the words. 
So yes, yes, you are um, helping them understand the prosody and the flow of language and you're expanding the vocabulary, throwing words at them that they might not have heard before, and you're maybe explaining what these words mean, and that's great. And that, but that's not everything. Mm -hmm. um, it's not seeing letters backward. It's not just that. And that's another thing I it's thought, or that, that you mix up letters. So, like, if it starts with an A and the second letter's an S, that you'll flip it. Is what I think someone had told me once. It can happen. It, it can happen. I have students that will flip things. Okay. Um, but then we need to look at other things like ADHD and vision tracking too. Okay. So a child with dyslexia can have other things and maybe that's why dyslexia and ADHD get mixed up. Mm -hmm. Oh, my kid can't read. Oh, they're dyslexic. Well, they could be dyslexic. They could also have ADD on top of it. Yeah. So ADD, um, it, it compromises your executive function. And dyslexia compromises your working memory. So that's your idea in that millisecond that you're reading a word from the beginning to the end, what was the first few letters of the word and where are the last few letters of the word? That's working memory, which you're holding in your memory for that millisecond before you say the word. Yeah. It compromises that. Mm -hmm. So there's some confusion is that, uh, with that as well. Dyslexia is not rare, we already covered that. Um, and it's not a problem of intelligence, absolutely not. But I have had parents who grew up in special ed classrooms and they're some of the smartest people I know. Because of their dyslexia? Yes. Wow. Or because of some other mm -hmm. um, specific learning disability, but it had nothing to do with their IQ. Yes. And that's an important distinction. This is a very eye-opening conversation. Because mm -hmm. um, I think They're people... Not the same thing. Yeah, they automatically associate, you know, any sort of... Uh, Which goes to the... the brain function issue yeah. with intelligence. So there's this word, unexpected. Unexpected means you've got this kid that can do all these things and suddenly there's something they're really struggling with. That's what we call an unexpected deficit. Yeah. And that's what dyslexia is. It's unexpected for uh, all of their other strengths. Um, yeah. That's exactly what this card says. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's so much to it. And... I mean, I applaud you tremendously for taking this path. Yes. But like you said, it was a gut instinct that led you down this road. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I'm just like blown away by the trajectory of your life because in a way, I mean, you're exhibiting your art artistry through being able to train these kids essentially. Mm -hmm. um, are you accepting clients? Yes, I am. Okay. But it's tricky. Scheduling for us is very, very hard. Mm -hmm. Got to be in the right place at the right time. Yeah. There's only so many hours of the day. Right. And it needs to be when the child's fresh. Yes. So that's why it makes it so demanding. So would you? Yes. So when you say fresh, do you mean like in the morning? Well, that's the best time. Mm -hmm. But sometimes that's not what is available. So right. I do work with children after school, but mm -hmm. a lot of my after school slots are full for that reason. Right. So yeah, you just have to, when you're looking for a dyslexia therapist, it's not just, you know, whether or not they can take on clients, it's whether or not the schedule will work. Yes. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, that's just the reality of it. You're only one person. Exactly. Um, but if somebody wanted to get a hold of you and, you know, maybe have a consultation in order to discuss what their options would be with you, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Um, they can reach me at dyslexiacorpuschristi.com. Okay. So then, and then there's like an inquiry page there? Yeah, my email's at the bottom, Erica, E-R-I-C-H-A dot Kem, K-E-M-M -M, at gmail.com. Excellent. And so just send her an email um, and she'll get back with you and then y'all can work it out to have a discussion about what might be my most beneficial for uh, the child. And so it mm -hmm. is children only, right? Is there a specific age range that no, you only work, work with? with? I can work with adults as well. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. And that's an interesting story as well because I get a lot of phone calls about people are in their 20s and they're seeking a diagnosis they are struggling in graduate school they're struggling to get a certificate because they have a test and they can't pass the test because wow. they need accommodations they're hitting they're exhausted they're cognitively exhausted and they're wanting extra time they're wanting accommodations yet they don't have the paperwork so uh my last uh public announcement please 
if you, if you feel like your child's dyslexic, please do do them a solid and and get that for them because when they're 20, 30 years old, they're students and they don't have a lot of money, they're going to have to pay out of pocket for a psychologist to do the work and there aren't that many. Oh wow. So educational diagnosticians, their instruments end at age 18. So now the pool of people who can diagnose you gets smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get a, a call every two months in this regard where they're looking for someone to diagnose themselves. So please um, do that for parents do that. Um, some parents don't feel that way. Mm-hmm. They, they have mixed feelings about their child being labeled. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and well, that's their journey that they've got to go on. Exactly. Um, but I the would, resources are there. Yes, they are there. Um, and if the child needs help later on, that's going to, it's going to become a stumbling block. Yeah. So yes, I do work with adults. My curriculum is slightly different with adults because they might have a lot of the alphabetic vocabulary inventory in there. I go in, I try to figure out if there's issues, things they've struggled with learning. And then we dive into etymology and morphology mm-hmm. and structured word inquiry, which is another amazing, amazing thing uh, that comes from the field of orthographic linguistics. Um, and I can integrate it, and I do integrate it in, with my young children so that they can understand that English is a, it's an ecosystem. Mm-hmm. It's Instead of me coming in with just a spotlight and just showing you one plant, I turn on the light and you get to see the whole ecosystem and how English works together in this one huge, in it, one thing affects another thing. Um, yeah. And it's beautiful. And like I say, it really when is. When I started studying it, it was just the, the, the hole got deeper and deeper. It's just a whole world that people aren't even aware of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just think it's incredible that you undertook this and uh, that you're helping people in the process. Um, I mean, not to mention helping yourself too, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think you're absolutely amazing. Oh, thank you. Yes, thank I you. appreciate you spending your evening with me. Um, I'm so glad I got to meet you. Shout out to Rochelle for reaching out. She reached <laughs> out right before and then you reached out and I'm so glad you did because you are the definition of a leading lady. I mean, putting yourself on the front lines, learning what needs to be learned and then disseminating it to those in need. You're incredible. Oh, thank you. Thank you thank so you. much, Erica. Thank you so much, Brittany. I, thanks for coming. It means a lot to me. And what you're doing is amazing as well. I appreciate I mean, that. holy cow, I love listening to this podcast. Amazing women. Yourself included. Yeah. Oh, thanks. <laughs>